The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant, 7 to 10 a.m. Five minutes past nine, you are with SAFM, and this is the Jet Set Breakfast. Uh, if you missed the last hour, we spoke to a young man who's prototyping soccer boots for gravel pitches. For so many young people who are playing soccer around the country, that's what they are playing off, is a gravel pitch. We also spoke to the author, Nick Mflongo. He's the author of a great many books, but uh, most recently last year, he released Paradise in Gaza and also Joburg Noir, which I have just started reading and am loving it. And then we spoke to Tumisol about running with Tumisol. We'll make sure that all those podcasts are released. Don't forget to just look out on iono.fm, iono.fm, and you'll get those stories. As you know, in the last hour on a Sunday, we go into our guest presenter. Many uh, people that we talk to, people with purpose, people who are engaging in the world in a very different space and different way and ensuring that what it means to be a South African citizen is one that is expanded and appreciated as well. Coralie Trotter is a clinical psychologist and she's a psychoanalyst and she's spent many years of clinical experience with regards to the 702 Crisis Centre, the University of Advertisement. She worked for the Detainees Counselling Service. She was responsible for debriefing the clinical team at the Trauma Clinic of the Centre for Violence and Reconciliation and uh, you may recognise her name as the person who wrote the report for the life Esidemeni tragedy which resulted in constant Constitutional damages being awarded for the first time in South Africa. It was a very powerful story and we look at that. But today we are going to look at what it means to experience what could be considered to be post-traumatic stress disorder, the stress, the trauma, the anxiety of loss, and try and understand what it means for our children, what it means for our families with regards to COVID, and how do we take it further, looking at caring, looking at being kind, and looking at uh, being engaged. Seven minutes past nine, we kick in with Coralie's first song. This is the guest presenter slot. Ten past nine, you with SFM. We always start the last hour with the song of choice of our guest presenter, our person with purpose. And today our person is Coralie Trotter, clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We want to talk about uh, grief, sadness, loss, but also the joy that uh, one finds in those moments as well. Coralie Trotter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michelle, and hello to all your listeners. Coralie, you know, I have to say that such a tender song to start with, the John Lennon Beautiful Boy. I wonder if uh, there, there are reasons that you chose that particular song. 
Yeah, I mean, I chose it partly for my son, um, but I, I chose it for all children. I think that children and teenagers are having a really hard time at the moment. Yeah. So, Carly, they really are having a hard time, and, and it was, and this was going to be one of the areas that we wanted to talk to, but we weren't going to crack in with it, but, but you've, you've raised it, so I'm very keen to kind of take it further. You know, one of the things we were talking about off-air before coming on to the show, we were talking about young children who um, may be going into school for the second year or the third year, and if you look at the short period of time that they've been in the world, the, the the time that they've been in lockdown uh, in the last year and the way this year is looking is long, which talks to an enormous loss. And I wonder if you could just talk to, to the toughness for, for young children that many people may be having. Yeah, you see, I mean, look, I think the, the, the sort of layers of, of loss and of difficulty, um, and children are very adaptable. So, you know, they, they, I think they're doing relatively well, depending on the resources that they have access to. And we're not going to know for a long time um, what impact yeah. um, this has had on, on, on small children. We'll know in 10, 15 years. I suppose it's teenagers who are looking forward to going, who've got dreams and looking forward to going into the world and this handbrake's pulled up. It's in some ways much more frustrating for them. But it's very hard to be a small child and have had a version of the world, um, hopefully a, a relatively safe one, and children who don't have a safe version of the world or a safe environment, the, obviously the impact is, you know, it's amplified. And then that version of the world is overturned. And then if parents lose their jobs or if parents start to struggle emotionally, which we know is true, our suicide rate is up, our divorce rate is up, um, the, the whole world then becomes less safe for the child. And if you keep children out of school, that sort of port of safety is removed um, and, it, you know, it, it interferes with their education. And a lot of children in our country, as we know, don't have access to resources. So, yeah. you know, not being educated is devastating. Not having access to an education is, is, um, is a massive loss for children. So, but it's a bit like a sort of a, a confluence yeah. of, of potential loss of safety in, yeah. in a situation like this. I mean, what you're talking about when you talk about, I love this idea of a confluence because it's like all these rivers that come together. And if, if we're talking about a confluence of loss, um, that it, it operates on so many levels. And for many of us, we don't know um, I don't know what are the levels that it's operating on. What are the levels that it's operating on for my children, for example? And then it's the question then becomes, what do I do? And I suppose we need the tools, not just as adults for ourselves, but as adults for for our children. But also, if we are teenagers, what are the tools that that we require, and and where do we get them? Well, exactly. And, and I think in, I mean, I think there are tools. I think there's some very fundamental principles that we can hold inside that can help us. But if in order to make sense of those tools, we need to understand, um, what we are all facing at the moment. Yes. And so, you know, last year I spoke a lot to psychologists about how, um, what is, what is partly so devastating about this is we are sense making creatures. So we meant to, from early on, um, probably in the womb, 
designed to make sense of the world we live in. And then because the world can be so overwhelming, we're also designed to take things for granted, hmm. you know, which then can easily become the source of prejudice, um, bias, etc., etc. Now, what's happening in this situation is the sense we've made of the world has Doesn't been make undone. Sense. So yeah. we're all at the beginning again, and that's very, very hard. That's why it's devastating. That's why this is a catastrophe. We all have to let go of our understanding of the world and begin again in terms of what is safe, how we behave. That's one big thing. The other big thing is that we're neurologically wired to connect. So when the other person becomes the person, when the other person becomes the threat, (laughs) because they may bring the virus, that completely works against how we neurologically wired and the fact that we're such social creatures. Yeah. So it, it, makes, it makes for paranoid thinking. And you can see in the world how the level of rage and um, arousal uh, has gone up because now other people are the threat, and that's a massive loss for the psyche. You know, you talk about rage and arousal and, and so much anger as well. And we can see that. I mean, even here at SAFM, we can see it from some of the messages that come through. And there seems to be, as you say, a higher level of rage. And I suppose it is because of what you're saying is what we are facing and making sense of the world. How do we do that? So we, it's part of it, which is very hard, is for us to let go of any ideas um, that we have, that hmm. the world is like this, all the certainty that, you know, helps us get from one day to another without being overwhelmed, without thinking too much. We've got to be able to let go of that. And we've got to open ourselves to new information and new ways of thinking about how we're going to move around in the world. I don't know that it's helpful to wait for the world we lived in to come back. Because we don't know what's going to happen this year, and we don't know what's going to happen next year. So I think it's more about, okay, I'd like to do this today. How can I do that and be safe and be thoughtful about it? How can I stay in contact with people um, and not become a super spreader? So it's about, at some level, accepting the reality. And we, we as human creatures, don't like reality. There's a very well-known analyst, Beyond, and he said, If you can get from a terrible hatred of reality to a mild distaste (laughs) in your life, you've done very well. (laughs) So at the moment, we hate reality because reality is telling us you are not in charge and you never will be. But it's not just one tsunami. It's we've been tsunamied over and over and over again. So it's about accepting that actually we're not in charge of this reality. It is a new reality. And how do I begin to navigate it? In other words, not being in denial and not holding on for a previous reality to come back. That's a very important thing. Um, there was a, just tell me if I'm talking too much. No, no, There's a very well-known principle called the Stockdale Paradox. And James Stockdale was, um, he was um, imprisoned in Vietnam for seven years. He was tortured relentlessly. And he survived, and most people who were imprisoned with him didn't. And when they asked him, why did, how did he survive? He said, because the people who were in denial about when they would be released eventually couldn't hold on to hope. And he knew, he faced the reality, but he also knew he didn't know the ending. 
And that's the kind of paradox we need to sit with at the moment. We need to look at the reality, but we don't know how all of this ends. And that's where hope lies. Um, You know, I'm thinking of that um, Viktor Frankl book. We've spoken of it here on the show. Um, Say yes in in, in spite of everything. If if yes, in spite of everything. If that, if I can't, I'm not getting the title correct. But basically, a very similar thing where he he had to look at the question of what it meant to be imprisoned. And in many ways, we are imprisoned, and we're not just imprisoned physically in a kind of lockdown, but we're imprisoned in a kind of, as you say, a space that we don't understand and we're not in charge of. And do we just breathe? Do we take someone um, has, you know, WhatsApped us and said, Michelle, I find comfort in looking at the worldwide situation almost from an historical point of view, because that means it's not just unique. And the sooner we adjust and work constructively to build a new, better world, um, the better. And there's also certitude that this will pass. But will this pass is, is, is the question. Well, we don't know. And I think that's what's so hard about facing reality is, you know, we want to know the answer to the question and we don't know how this will pass, when it will pass, if it will pass, what that will look like. And so we've got to, the the psyche hates being in that state of limbo and uncertainty. So we really can all help ourselves at the moment if we find our minds going towards um, something like this will pass to say, hang on a moment, I don't know what the future looks like, and that's okay also. That doesn't mean to say, as you're saying with Viktor Frankl, that you don't keep a little fire burning. You know, the Mm. reason I said Hamlet is my favorite um, piece of literature is because the idea in Hamlet of not just to be or not to be, but how to be in the world, who am I going to be, something Mm. you see in literature, and you see it a lot in dystopian literature, so Cormac McCarthy's, you know, The, the Road, road. Yeah. for me is a real example um, to help us at the moment where in the most impossible situation, how do you hold on to your humanity and how do you keep that little fire burning? What can you say yes to every day so that you get through that day? In other words, it doesn't have to be a big thing. I saw lots of people at the beginning of lockdown saying, you know, now you must paint your fun goch. That was never going to happen because this was always going to be too overwhelming, not just in terms of our own lives and our losses, but in terms of watching people who can't, who don't have food. Mm. So this is not necessarily a time for big things. It's, can I get up this morning? And what fire can I light this morning? And how can I just hold on to something through the day so that I can get up again tomorrow? Now, that might sound very bleak. But the situation is bleak. Yeah. Coralie, so, so it's just, feeling the feeling. Just, just give us just... very hard to stay in the uncertainty and know that as long as you get up every single day, that means you're getting through this thing. And then at some point we'll arrive at that place where, for example, James Stockdale is mm. freed. So so just give us like practical examples, because as you say, this is not the time to say, well, I'm going to paint my Picasso or whatever the case may be. It, but it is a time to say literally, can I just get out of bed this morning? I'm feeling so depressed. I don't know if I can even lift my head up off the pillow. I'm so anxious. I'm rolled into a ball. So what? Give us some very practical examples of what getting up in the morning could mean? What those small things that I say yes to could be? 
Well, let's just say that if you, if you feel that bad in the morning, keeping the little fire going might actually mean not getting up. It might be that day saying to yourself, sure, this has been a hard year, and today I'm not going to get up. I'm going to just be kind to myself. We, the, you know, we desperately need kindness to yeah. ourselves and to others in the world at the moment. Um, but if you are able to get up, and if you don't get up today, it doesn't mean you won't get up tomorrow. Then you try the next day. Yeah. And then once you're up, honestly, the world sometimes does seem a little easier <laughs> if you get yourself going. Yeah. So, for example, um, I would say that in terms of my sense of how we've got through this is to everyone is allowed their feelings. So the more, the more, especially children and teenagers, the more we block feelings, um, the less we are able to deal with what's going on because then we're storing that feeling and that interferes with coping, with getting up the next day and with getting through the day. Yeah. And the hard thing about feelings is that people have this idea that if you have the feelings, it'll make everything worse, that you'll really get depressed and then you'll never get up. But those are emotional states that get us imprisoned in that way. That's not the function of feelings. Feelings are designed to tell us, what do I feel now in this moment, um, grappling with this situation? What are my losses? What do I want to cry about? What do I want to rage about? And if we face feelings every single day, as much as we're able to, again, there are no rules here. If there's a day you wake up and you think, I'm not doing feelings today, that's also fine. That's what the kindness is about. Mm. But overall, having feelings is an invaluable way of keeping a little fire going. Because then if your child, for example, is very upset on a particular day and you can allow the child to have that feeling and you have your own feelings, you can sit and you can talk about it. And then the, the, the entire event of that day is witnessed, it's experienced. That allows it to be synthesized, to be integrated a little bit and to tackle questions in the same way. You know, what is the world going to look like? When is this going to happen? To not lie and just sit with it. Yeah. Allow some integration. Some, it's a bit like thinking of an emotional stomach, you know, for your listeners. And the more we allow our feelings and, and listen to each other, the more we digest all that sort of emotional stuff. Yeah. And then it makes it easier to get through the day. So that's certainly one thing. Well, okay. So... We're going to go into your next song, but um, what I would like to think about is, you know, you are a clinical psychologist, you're also a psychoanalyst, and yet not everybody has access to those spaces and those uh, uh, engagements. So maybe there are some tips that as a parent one could think about with one's teenager. I mean, teenagers are notoriously difficult to talk to and engage with often. So what are the words that one needs in one's, in one's vocabulary to, to, to talk to them about that as well? Okay. We're going to go into your, first, your second song, Straubs, Autumn. Is that the autumn time of our lives? Is that... <laughs> Well, I think, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a developmental thing that we're all being thrown back into little parts inside ourselves. So I think it's the autumn, you know, it's the phase in terms of the world. Who knows what kind of age we're going into? I think it's in terms of, of all of us grappling with our own histories and our past and what the present looks like. As you say, people are saying, you know, it'll, this will get through this. And then the, the real truth is we don't know. 
and and the part that I love is the part you know where they sing "Hold on to me, I'll hold on to you" all the winter through, and we are in a winter, and mm. and we in a winter that's cold and paranoid in terms of the other person can make me sick, and we've got to hold on to the idea that we need to hold on to other people. We mustn't leave anyone behind yes. uh, because that's the source of our humanity. Absolutely, the track "Strobes with Autumn." We need to leave it there. That's the choice of our guest presenter, Pierce Person with Purpose in so many ways, psychoanalyst and uh, therapist as well, Coralie Trotter. And we're talking about how to engage in the world during a time of COVID. And there are certain things that she's noted which are very powerful, let go of certainty, that there are new ways of thinking and we have to rewire ourselves to understand that we are not really in charge of reality and what does that mean for us. She's in charge of sport though and she's here, Zykon. The Jet Set Breakfast on SAFM. Destination unknown. Thanks very much to Zykon. She'll be back tomorrow, as mentioned. We are talking to Coralie Trotter. She is our guest presenter for today in this hour. An SMS that just came through or a WhatsApp that just came through saying, Hi, Michelle, what a brilliant, practical and wise guest. Her advice is invaluable as our lockdown problems with multitude of handbrakes seem never ending. So it's one day at a time. Be kind and allow yourself space to feel your own emotions. That would really be the way to think it through. Coralie Trotter, thank you so much for joining us. Coralie, we spoke about um, the language that's required. So if you're working with teenagers, maybe you have uh, kids who are teenagers, tweens and teens, what is the kind of language that one should be using with them? Look, I mean, can I say with children and with teenagers, um, an invaluable source um, for parents at the moment is literature, um, and and I suppose a form as well, but literature much more so, because if children and teenagers read, they are able to, through all the metaphors in their minds, have a sense of a different reality. So on the one hand, we're needing to accept reality, but we are extraordinary creatures in terms of fantasy and our creativity. So if you're in your room, and you can't and you can't get out or you can't get out of the house and for some people that kind of living situation is you know almost impossible yeah. if there's access to literature it enables the mind to get absorbed in a metaphor in another way of thinking in another world so that can be very useful especially with children and and young teenagers if we're going to talk about language i suppose the thing the thing with teenagers and why it's so hard for teenagers and young adults at the moment is because you're meant to be, to some extent, disidentifying with your parents and identifying with another reference group. Yeah. And that often then is a peer group. And then, you know, as you said, teenagers are difficult 
it, you know, they, they are difficult because their bodies are changing and, and they, they're having to sort of get ready to accept responsibility for themselves. But I think some of the difficulty is that parents get anxious yes. and, and they hold on too tightly to teenagers instead of letting teenagers go and negotiating much more with teenagers and letting them accept responsibility um, for looking after themselves. And now in a situation like this, that sort of normal process of gravitating towards a peer group is completely thwarted. Yeah. So, the, so this is so hard for anyone between 15 and 22. And I don't know if you remember, Michelle, when you were young, but I sort of remember those threshold crossings of like, I've got to get a license. I've got to get him a trick and get into university. And as I do all of that, I'm going to free myself <laughs> and I can be the boss of myself. You know, that sort of sense of, 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 of with all its challenges and with all its anxieties, there's such a liberation yeah. in knowing that you're moving towards owning your own life. Yeah. And that's very hard at the moment. You can see that with the rages and, um, you know, how people want to get on with their lives at that age desperately. Yeah. And then they, they have this very hard handbrake. So I would say in terms of language, it is literally about discussing that, how hard it is that at your age, when you should be dreaming, it is the age to dream. It's the age to adventure, to explore, to go overseas, to put your backpack on and and just move forward somewhere in the world. Mm. Um, and it is the age also to begin to really um, think for yourself and, and own your own life, not follow your parents dream for you. And that's just become <laughs> yeah. so much harder when we lock down. But if, if we talk about that, or if parents talk to their teenagers about that, it really, again, makes it easier. Yeah. This is what is so hard for you at the moment. You're meant to be, you know, giving flight <laughs> yeah. and, finding, and finding and claiming your life. And, lo- and now you're locked down. You're yeah. meant to be with your friends and exploring ideas with them and um, you know, being yeah. curious about sexuality, you're meant to be developing a sense of mastery. So the rules are actually the hardest for anyone from 14 to, you know, 23, 24. All the yeah. rules of lockdown. But they're meant to be breaking free from those rules. And in fact, what's happening is they're being stuck within it. Coralie, I want to move from the idea of grief in terms of those kinds of experiences where people are um, not able to do what they're used to doing, as you say, letting go of certainty, reality, not being a space where we're in charge. And I want to talk to real loss. So, the, the well, it is, it's all real loss, but the physical loss of family members. So, for example... Here at um, the Jet Set Breakfast, we know of someone who has lost quite a few people within their, that person's family. And what does that loss mean, um, the, that physical loss? And indeed, what um, that collective grief then starts to talk to in this country as well. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's when this really becomes devastating, um, in terms of the virus, is, you know, we, we meant to, um, we are responsible for the dead. Um, we go on having a relationship with the dead. When someone dies, that's not the end of the road. Mm. So firstly, the people are losing people they love, and sometimes more than one person, as you say. But secondly, a lot of the time, people are dying alone. That, yeah. I, I cannot tell you 
how how terrible that is for the human psyche um, to know that someone you love has died alone and even to be the person who is dying alone. And so that is a layer that makes it very, very hard. Then there's another layer where the sort of usual um, symbolic rituals and rites that people practice in different faiths in their own way, those are now seen as bad, you know, yeah. and that they've got to be limited. So people I know who've been to to funerals, it's very, very painful. You can't hug anyone, so you can't comfort them in that way. Um, only a certain number of people can be there. You've got to keep your distance. There are lots of graves that have been dug. So it's it, it, those layers make is is really what begins to make this traumatizing. And, and yes, Sam? and and how do we deal with it? I mean, I I listen to you talk about. You're quite right. The losing, losing people you love, dying alone, not just for um, me knowing that that person has died alone, but for the person who may be really, really ill and on their own. Um, whew, it's, it's profound. It is profound. And unfortunately, there is no, there is no way of avoiding the pain of that. Um, you know, that oh. is, that was one of the, um, difficulties with life esotomeni is that if you're in that situation, you can't go back and and undo what has happened. And so then you are really in a state of grief, not only mm. that the person's died and that you miss them, but all the other grieving around, I wasn't there, I didn't say what I wanted to say, they were alone, um, and now look at the way this person's being buried or look at the memorial ceremony on Zoom, and all of that then becomes painful. And so the grieving is not just about the person going. The grieving is about this, the, that the state of the world at the moment doesn't allow us then to register our grief. So it's like double and triple loads of grief. And unfortunately, there is no way of avoiding that. And it, it can only settle over time. Yeah. So talking to other people is something that can often help, or even just being with other people. Um, so that, that, that not being isolated is very important at the moment for people. And some people have isolated themselves and they're managing and they're getting totally isolated themselves. Yeah. And that's working for them. But if someone feels lonely or isolated, they've got to find a way of having a connection that, that is supportive and understanding where you can just cry. Or if you can't cry because it's like ice inside, just sit with someone. Um, so there's no way of getting around that. That's the thing that breaks me up inside is the layers and layers of grief and how then it is just going to take time. Yeah. So Freud understood that. Freud said that the reason grief takes time is because the mind resists that that person is dead and, and that love in the world is gone. And the mind is no. And then an anniversary comes up or a song comes up and then you remind it again. And over time, eventually the mind accepts. Yeah. Okay, this is the way it is. And I wasn't there. And it will forever be painful inside me. But I have a life to live. It goes back into, I've got to get on with my life. But that takes time. So people are in torturous emotional states, I'm afraid. So we do have a listener, actually, who's left a voice note with regards to time. Very timeously, I have to say. Go for it. Morning to you, Michelle, and the listeners. I hope you're well, my dear. Time is the only coin of your life. 
it's the only coin you have and only you can determine how it will be spent. Be careful, lest you let other people spend it for you. <laughs> Thank you from chapter two. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, isn't that so pertinent in terms of teenagers? Yeah. With, you know, to some extent that coin is being spent um, by governments, at, you know, essentially those in power at the moment. Um, so, yeah. So, so, That's so just currently, a of grieving. Yeah, you know, people can see grieving as a waste, and and it is so sore to grieve. So, and you know, I understand that, but grieving is not a waste. Yeah, grieving is a good use of time, because at the end of it, as I say, you return to investing in yourself, and then you forever hold the person inside you. Yeah. So we do have to go to a break, but I, but I'd like to ask you. Someone is saying that you you express what is happening so well, but um, what is the hope for the future? So if you could just consider that for a moment, and uh, when we come from back from the break, we'll go into that space. Sure. The Jet Set Breakfast on SAFM Destination Unknown. It's 10 to 10, and as you heard, KG is, of course, up next at uh, 10 o'clock. She'll take you through seasons and um, keep you well entertained from then until 1 o'clock. You know, we've got a listener who says, we have survived pandemics, we have um, survived plagues, uh, and we will survive. And I think that's quite correct. Yes, we can say that globally we will survive, and some of us will not survive, but nevertheless, we we will. But that doesn't really answer the question of, of how we do it and how we just take ourselves through. And I think you've mentioned the word being kind to oneself. That sounds like a really, really critical thing. It's not always in our nature to be kind to ourselves, though, Coralie. Sorry, I missed that, Michelle. Say again. I said it's not always in our nature to be kind to ourselves. Yeah, look, I think being kind to ourselves is a, is a very difficult thing. Um, you know, we've got all kinds of things we struggle with and injunctions inside us about how we should be and, and you know, who we should be and what we shouldn't do. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that, that's part of the problem with the situation we're in at the moment is that whole level of language has been amplified and it is so noisy. Everyone is fighting, you know, yeah. about what's true and what's not true and who's got the correct perspective. You can see with all the lockdown rules across the world, how that sort of that level of injunction is is confused and very 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 noisy. So I suppose the thing about being kind is that if you do something that you regret and you wish you hadn't done, it doesn't help afterwards to persecute yourself. You can you can accept responsibility for what you've done and say inside, I feel sad about that part of me yeah. um, and what I've done. I, I regret it. I wish I hadn't done that. What do, is there anything I can do in the world to make it okay? Do I need to say sorry to somebody? Do I need to accept responsibility for something? That's kindness because it's about sitting in your skin and none of us can escape our skin. So what is the value in beating yourself up inside? You know, yeah. there's nothing to be gained. Whereas if you can look at what you've done, feel it, do what you need to do, and, and that is a process of being kind. And it allows a kind of a friendly relationship with the self. And yeah. what we know is that the way you relate to yourself is also the way you're going to relate to others. Sure. So if you're beating yourself up inside, 
you're likely to scream at somebody who doesn't have a mask on because yeah. then you, you have a channel <laughs> yeah. for that energy. And we can see that happening sociopolitically in the world at the moment. Um, I, I mean, I hear you and I'm thinking about myself whenever I walk out and I'm like, where's your mask? And then I suppose you're right that, it, that I need to take a good, long, hard look at myself as well. Coralie, as we come towards the end of this uh, interview, you know, you, you, have, you have colleagues who are working in peri-urban but also in very rural areas. They don't necessarily have access. What um, is being done for people who are struggling to get access to um, psychotherapy, to psychologists, to health workers, to mental health workers and the like? Look, there are a number of platforms um, that were set up right at the beginning of, of lockdown. Yeah. And I can send you information about them. I imagine they are still operational. And they were set up so that anybody could get help. Um, and it, and it, it was a free service. So I do know, I do know about that. And I, okay. I don't know to what extent it's being used, um, but it, it is there and it is available for people if they want to talk. And I can send you those, um, those details. Yeah. I know that some of my um, colleagues who work... Um, in, in, well, not just rural areas, but in community areas, have um, gone on working right through the, the whole of last year and through lockdown sure. with very few resources, but they've stayed present, they've stayed available. Um, so there are some of those, those community clinics did not shut down. Yeah. Um, there was a period where they, they weren't working face-to-face. But, I mean, those people have had a deep commitment to going on providing a service in those areas. But the, I suppose the thing is, if someone needs help, and especially if they're in a more remote area, is to try and get hold of somebody who can try and seek out someone that they can talk to. There's a lot of talking among psychologists at the moment about referring and who can do this and who can do that. So to, to sort of try and find a starting point and someone that can then help you get what you need for yourself. So, you know, um, I'm thinking, I think the SADAG health line is um, 0800-456-789, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, people could, in fact, just phone up SADAG. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Fantastic. And this platform that was set up um, early last year, it's the same thing. You can phone and you will have access to a psychologist um, and there's no charge. Um, so I, I, I do think there was an attempt to make sure that people could get help. It might, things might have dissolved a bit um, mm-hmm. at the end of last year because we thought we were coming out of something. Now we're back in it. And we don't know how many times we're we, going to have to go through this. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, finally, you know, I think of the work that you did with Life Esidomania, and that is a whole conversation on its own. But I think of the other health workers as well. And I wonder... Um, for for the health workers who are supporting uh, the citizens like myself and my colleagues and 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 the like, what kind of support do you get? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. And you know, it's not just it's not just psychologists. Um, I was in hospital at the end of last year, and I have to tell you that part of what made it one of the gifts was the nursing staff. Um, at Rosebank Clinic, they, I would not have got through that experience without their immense kindness and support and generosity 
and availability. But I, and I would talk to them and I'd say, but now who are you talking to and who's supporting you? It's always that sort of, that question. Um, I think psychologists do have groups that they're part of, supervision groups, reading groups, and that's definitely a, a source of support. Um, and in terms of my, my own self, I have colleagues who are enormously supportive, who are absolutely there for me. So it goes back to that thing of, you know, having some kind of contact with another mm. person that we cannot do this alone. A colleague of mine and I were joking about it last night. We cannot plumb these deaths alone. That yes. isn't a quote from me. Stefano Bolognini said that. And that's the truth. That's the irony at the moment. We've been told to stay away from people. The bottom line is we cannot do this alone. We have to do it with each other. Yeah. And even if that's one person, that's okay. Yeah. And so I, that's what I love that. I do have people in my life who support me, and then I feel able to support who I need to support. Coralie Trotter, I want to say thank you for your hard work and uh, I think uh, taking back to the time with life is many as well. Thank you for that particular work as well and thank you for joining us here on SAFM. It's a pleasure, you're welcome. Coralie Trotter, psychoanalyst, psychotherapist and talking about the challenges of what it means during COVID-19. Certainly just letting go, let go of the certainty that you understand it. How do we make sense of a world that is not the world we are used to? And uh, if we can find ways of doing that, I would think that's a good thing as well. I want to say thanks very much to the team, to Zalma, to Zaire and to Ndosh. And don't forget, KG's up next. That's it from us. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.